Please turn in your Bibles now to the book of Judges, chapter 16. We're going to be reading uh, from verse 23 on to the end of the chapter. As we continue this series through the book, we've now come to the last portion dealing with the 12th and final judge, Samson. And uh, children, if you remember, uh, when I was here two weeks ago, we left Samson in a very dire predicament. Does anyone remember how we left Samson? At, at uh, yes, Reuben. Okay, he ha- he was blind and he had to grind uh, wheat. All right, that's right. Does anyone else remember? That's excellent. Does anyone remember anything else? Where where was he doing that grinding? Does anyone remember? Yeah, he was in a prison. Right, the prison of his enemies. So it's a very sad situation and uh, now we're going to see that as sad as that was and as awful and pitiful as Samson was God uh, did not abandon him God is there so I'm actually I'll actually back up and begin at verse 21 uh, just again to remind us of what's going on and then we'll uh, read our portion this is God's word then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza They bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, our god has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened when their hearts were merry that they said, Call for Samson that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them. And they stationed him between the pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof, watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow Take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the lords and on all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. And his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtoal in the tomb of his father Manoah. He had judged Israel 20 years. And there will end the reading of God's word. May God bless his word to us as we consider it together this morning. A couple of weeks ago, I saw an article about a soccer team, a high school soccer team in New York City, was holding a 
uh, a game uh, in which they wanted to uh, draw attention to one of their alumni. So one of their alums was imprisoned about six months ago in Russia uh, for supposedly being a spy. And this man's a reporter for the Wall Street Journal. So he's been kept over there for six months now and counting. And so the soccer team on which he played when he was in high school thought, well, we'll have this game just to help people remember his situation, to bring awareness to his situation and to remind uh, everyone that he's still over there. And uh, this is a common uh, concern, of course, right, for people in these situations, is that we just go on with our lives, we, we forget. Uh, human beings are very fickle in some ways, and so uh, we're very much focused on the here and now and what I have to do in the immediate future. And so it's, it's not uncommon that we forget these kind of long-term problems like this. And sometimes I think it's tempting for us to think that God is like us. God also forgets. Uh, And we can look at our lives and we can say, well, I mean, honestly, if you look at uh, how many mistakes I've made and how many times I seem to do the same thing wrong, I can understand why God would just forget about me or God would just be ready to move on uh, and work with somebody else uh, because after all, Uh, I'm really not uh, handling things like I should be. And you can imagine Samson at this point in his life. It's a a really pathetic picture of this great man who had led Israel for 20 years. And now he's blind and he's in a prison and he's doing the task of a slave. And all the while knowing it's his own fault, uh, that he should have known better and that it's his fault he's there. Uh, how easy it would be to feel like you had been forgotten by God. But the passage reminds us that 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 is far from the case, that God is not far from his people, that God never forgets his people. And here we have what is an encouragement to us, which is a reminder that uh, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, God does not abandon his people and that God is with us. And that's the encouragement of this passage, and it's the main point I hope that you'll see as we look at it together, which is that we are called to keep fighting the good fight, knowing that God will never give up on his people. And that's what I hope we'll see as we look at the passage together. Now, children, if you're going to draw a picture, I've asked you to draw a picture of Samson in the temple of Dagon, and uh, you listen to what, is, what it is that happens there and what that signifies. And uh, I look forward to seeing, uh, to seeing your pictures. You had some very good pictures of Samson getting his hair cut uh, last week, or last time. And so I'm looking forward to what pictures you'll draw me this time. Well, there is an outline in the bulletin if you'd like to follow along. You see, the first thing we want to notice there is that even when you are at your lowest, God is still with you. And I want to look at verses 21 and 22 again for this. Again, this sad state uh, that Samson is in is described here, where his eyes have been gouged out and he's been bound with bronze fetters. His head has been shaved and he's in the prison and he's grinding. So the great leader of God's people has been 
subdued. And of course, remember that the Philistine lords were spending what we said was in our money millions of dollars uh, to pay Delilah to betray Samson. So Samson was a significant enemy in their eyes and and he was public enemy number one and so uh, when they've captured him now they're going to make sure he's subdued and the picture here I think I always used to imagine uh, Samson you know pushing uh, one of these big grinding apparatuses like uh, like you would normally have a horse pulling Uh, one of the congregation members reminded uh, that in the beginning of Conan the Barbarian apparently this is where Conan gets his great strength He's pushing this massive wheel. But those massive wheels were actually not invented until much later than this time here. Uh, what he's doing is been giving a little hand mill. And he's just grinding on a little hand mill in his cell. And the point isn't that they are short of people to grind and they need the work. It is to humiliate him. He is being humiliated and with him, Israel is being humiliated. Their king and their leader is reduced to this blind beggar doing slave work. That's the point that they're communicating. And he would be there in those circumstances knowing, again, that it was his foolishness and his sinfulness that brought him into this situation. So we do see here that sin has real consequences for the people of God. Uh, God sometimes graciously uh, shields us from the consequences of our bad decisions, but he doesn't always do that. And here we see God allowing Samson to experience the outflow of Samson's sinful decisions. But this is not because God is done with Samson. It's because God is relentlessly committed to working in Samson's life. I put as a cross-reference in the bulletin, Hebrews 12, verses 5 and 6. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. And this is what we must see is happening in Samson's life. God working in his life. He has humbled Samson. But as we said last time, verse 22 reminds us he's not abandoned Samson. However, the hair of his head began to grow again. This is the idea that God is with him. And with the regrowing of the hair is the renewal of his Nazarite vow. He is starting over again. God is allowing him to start over again in his service to the Lord. I think this is a helpful passage to us. When things go wrong in your life, it's very tempting to say, you know, God's against me. God's against me. Why is God doing this to me? And uh, you need to recognize suffering in our lives may be the result of sin, but it doesn't have to be. And oftentimes God's at work to teach us and to refine us. And we have to remember, as his children, we are forgiven in Christ. Uh, There was a a woman that used to be in the congregation some years ago, and she had a lot of trouble in her health, and she would often say to me, "I I think God's mad at me. And if I said to her, well, why would God be mad at you? Uh, She was actually able to list off a number of pretty good reasons why God could be mad at her. I mean, you know, going back in her past. And so the the effort was then to remind her 
that you're in Christ now. And, and in Jesus Christ, God is not mad at you. Uh, he is not mad at you. He is with you in your difficulty. And one of the things that I labor to do uh, when, in my prayers and when I go to see Jean Curry is to remind her that God is with her. Uh, poor Jean is not aware of very much anymore. And uh, in the nursing home, and she sleeps most of the time. She's not eating much, and she's just watching her decline and fade away. But even in that situation, God is with his people. And we need to remember that. That's famous true for you. God is with you. And I think the blind Samson sitting in there could take his hand and rub it on his head and feel his hair growing back and know that God was with him, even in that lowest state. Secondly, we see here, God will not share his glory with you or with anyone else. And we'll see this in verses 23 to 25. In verse 23, we're told that the Philistines gather to celebrate this great victory. And you see who they give credit to. Our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. So they come to praise their God, Dagon. And the older commentators say, say that, well, that, that is the, a fish God, that Dagon is a part man and part fish. Uh, there really isn't a lot of historical support for that. Uh, the, the more recent historians think that the word Dagon comes from a derivative of a word that means grain. And there's some debate, but that, if that's true, that, that's interesting that w- earlier in the story, Samson caught the foxes and set all the grain on fire. Uh, that there may have been more of a religious connotation in what he was doing there. But be that as it may, this, this vast multitude is singing their praise to Dagon. Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy. And they give Dagon the credit for subduing Samson. And so in verse 25, uh, they decide, well, let's have some fun here. So uh, they're in this great temple, and there's a big statue of their God there, and they bring out Samson uh, opposite the statue. And now this translation says that he may perform for us. So that word means uh, entertain or amuse us. So it's not like he's coming out and doing uh, great uh, feats of strength. Again, I think, we, I think the text points us in the direction of he was an ordinary man. He wasn't just the superhuman guy whom God equipped in special times. What's going on here probably is people are running in and slapping him and hitting him and then running away. And Samson, you know, swinging wildly because he can't see. And so this great fighter uh, who had defended his people is reduced to this mocking, jeering laughter. And the great crowd is laughing uproariously as he is uh, humiliated and unable uh, to fight back. And this helps us understand what's going on if you realize that ultimately this is a religious struggle. This is the Philistines exalting their God and then mocking uh, Samson and his God the God of Samson, and Samson is the servant of God, and they're mocking him because they believe that their God has won. And I think it's helpful if you realize that's what's behind all of what's going on here is is the idea of their nation and their God preeminent over Israel and Israel's God. 
In fact, what they did to Samson was commonly done to a defeated enemy. I put in your outline an example from 2 Kings 25, 6 and 7, which talks about what King Nebuchadnezzar did to the Israel king uh, Zedekiah. So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they pronounced judgment on him. Then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, put out the eyes of Zedekiah, bound him with bronze fetters, and took him to Babylon. This is the same thing. You see, the heirs are killed. There's no hope for your kingdom anymore. The eyes are put out. The, the light has been dimmed. There's no future for this kingdom and this dynasty. Then you're treated as a conquered slave because your people are slaves. That's the message. That, that's what's going on here. Samson is being treated this way because this is domination over God's people. But of course, we know that Dagon is no god at all. Uh, he is nothing. And so they're giving credit uh, for defeating Samson to nothing at all. In fact, the one who defeated Samson was God, was Yahweh. Because Yahweh would not share his glory with Samson, and he's certainly not going to share his glory with the Philistines. Isaiah 42, verse 8. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. So their decision to mock uh, Yahweh was not a good decision. You might liken it to what we read about in Daniel chapter 5, where uh, King Belshazzar uh, brings out the sacred uh, uh, cups and bowls from the temple that had been captured and carried away and he has a big party with them and they're all drunk and drinking out of the vessels meant for God's worship and they're praising the gods of silver and gold and that's the great famous story where a hand appears and writes on the wall and that very night uh, King Belshazzar dies and his kingdom is overthrown. It's just not a good idea to mock the living God. And it's, it's quite tempting for us to um, have a similar attitude to Joshua when the commander of the Lord's armies appeared to him. Do you remember what he said? Who, whose side are you on? Are you for us or for our enemies? And the commander of the army of the Lord says, no. Right? Wrong question. The question isn't whose side I'm on. The question is what side are you on? Are you going to acknowledge and serve the living God? And we live in a, in a day and age where God is routinely mocked. And it can be easy for us to be discouraged by that. But I guarantee you, God will not share his glory. And he will be glorified in the end. And you can take that to the bank. And so when you see people mocking God, just recognize, just like these Philistines, they're just on their way to a similar ending that's happening here. And more personally, don't be among them. Don't be among those taking credit for God's work in your life or in your family or in your job or in your church. 
Don't take credit for God's work. God will not share his glory. Thirdly, we see here a wonderful reminder that genuine faith will win out in the end in verses 26 and 28. So to 28, in verse 26 and 27, uh, Samson asked if he can feel the pillars. And obviously, if there's two pillars within the span of his reach, there must be a lot of pillars, right? They're, they're, it's dense with pillars, at least in this part uh, of the temple. And so uh, he needs to rest after this humiliation. And so they put him there on the, uh, on the pillars. And, and the picture here is probably this temple is, is built and there's a courtyard in the middle and there's a statue of Dagon. And then it tells us there's 3,000 people up on the roof so many pillars, perhaps it's meant to support a heavy load. Uh, I go back to uh, years ago when the Hornings hosted uh, an Irish barn dance for the congregation at their barn. And uh, the phrase, the house was rocking, was literal this time, not just figurative, where if you were standing below, you, you could see, and I was just talking to Andy about this a few weeks ago, and he said that barn was not built to have uh, you know, 100 people jumping up and down on it on the second floor. Um, this is a little different because it appears this is built for a massive crowd. And so you have Samson down in the courtyard, people down below watching him, and then everybody's sort of leaning in to look down and to see what's happening. So this big crowd leaning and looking. And Samson then, uh, in verse 28, uh, cries out to God, O oh Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O oh God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. This is a prayer. He's crying out to God. And this is another place where the commentators are sharply divided on this. I, I had commentators I read saying, this is an egocentric prayer. Uh, one said Samson is the most narcissistic person in all the Bible. Right? So it's very harsh. Right At this point, all Samson's worried about is uh, vindicating himself and fighting back. And I think that totally misses the point. Samson's not crying out for personal vengeance. He's crying out as the judge as the leader of God's people. Matthew Henry agrees with me, or maybe I should say I agree with Matthew Henry. Samson pulled the house down upon them. God, no doubt, putting it into his heart as a public person, thus to avenge God's quarrel with them, Israel's and his own. And I think Michael Lefebvre says this really well, Old Testament scholar, with the hair of his Nazarite consecration growing again on his head, he prays for the Spirit's help to do the work of a judge, recognizing that the plucking of his eyes was an act of enslavement of the whole nation under him as leader. This was not a cry of personal revenge, but of justice, of judicial revenge. Samson is representing God and God's people and he sees it as such and he cries out to God in verse 28 he uses Elohim Lord and also Yahweh the covenant God he calls upon God as his covenant God to enable him just one more time uh, 
to act in his strength against the enemy. And ultimately, I think this was for, not for his own glory, but for God's glory. Gordon Ketty writing about this says, there can be no doubt that he had repented of his former sin with Delilah and was now restored to a happy relationship with the Lord. So in my reading of this, he's crying out in faith. And this is why you and I should never give up on ourselves or on others. God is always able to work in the lives of those who belong to him. And those who do belong to him will express their faith. Faith is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And if a person has been given genuine faith, though they stray, though they walk away, though it's a winding road, though it takes a long time, the Spirit will bring fruit from genuine faith. And that's what we see here. And we should be saying, if God can use this man, then he can certainly use someone like me or someone like my loved one who I'm concerned about. God is patient and gracious, and we need to keep praying, keep loving, keep ministering, and keep hoping, because genuine faith wins out in the end. And this is what we're seeing. This man did a lot of bad things, and yet God drew out that genuine faith in his life. Fourthly, we see here that God secures your victory through the death of of his servant in verses 29 and 30. And these verses, certainly this whole story would have been one the Israelites loved to read again and again and to, and to remember. One of the greatest victories in all of their history. Samson pushes on these two middle supports, which must be close together and close to other supports. And whether he starts some kind of a chain reaction or just a weak spot in that one place in the roof, the whole thing comes down in a giant pile of rubble. And look at the extent of what happens. It says, all the lords of the Philistines. So this is like knocking out president, vice president, all the leaders in Congress. Like the five lords, they're all wiped out. And uh, it says, more were killed in his death than he had killed in his life. Well, we already know he's killed 1,100 uh, by number. So it's larger than that. It's thousands that he's killed in this final Act. And, and the irony here is beautiful and powerful because the great Dagon in whose temple this is happening can't even keep his own people, his own worshipers safe while they are worshiping in the temple. God's servant overthrows uh, the, uh, the idol and, uh, and shows that this is the glory of God. But don't lose sight of how God wins this victory. He wins the victory through the death of his servant. Samson knows he's going to die. Let me die with the Philistines as he pushes over the column. Kyle and Delich say Samson gained the greatest victory over his foes in the moment of his own death. And Tim Keller, I think, helpfully says, we have in Samson more than in any of the other judges the pattern of the victorious defeat, rejected, beaten, chained all alone and finally dying under an avalanche of his enemies. Samson triumphed, 
God delivered his people through the victorious defeat of one Savior. Have you thought about that? That's the heart of the gospel, the victorious defeat. That's how we're all saved. What a picture. This blind, humiliated, forsaken man. He's the Savior. When did Jesus cross, Jesus Christ save his people? He, he did it on the cross. When he was at his lowest. When he was beaten and bloody and hanging on the cross. That's the victory. The, the scripture tells us that. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. That's when Jesus won the victory. And so see how Samson uniquely points us to Jesus in this way. Samson is the only judge of the 12 who is defeated. He's the only judge that dies in battle. Who, who appears to have lost. He's the only one who goes it alone. He doesn't have an army. He doesn't have any friends fighting with him, no supporters at all. He's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, who in his apparent defeat wins the glorious victory over Satan and sin and death. God secures your victory through the death of his servant. And this is a powerful reminder of that fact. So then finally, we need to keep fighting the good fight, knowing that God will never give up on his people. So the story ends in verse 31 with the, his brothers, his relatives, his, his extended family coming to take the body. And apparently the shock that's been uh, delivered to the Philistines is so great, there's, there's no contention over this. They're able to come and get the body and take him back to his father's tomb and bury him. And this is the language of an honorable burial. He's buried in the family plot in honor. And uh, Matthew Henry says, we have good reason to hope that though Samson died with the Philistines, he had not his everlasting portion with them. Uh, the New Testament tells us he died as a hero of the faith. And by God's grace, Samson fulfilled his purpose. He began to deliver Israel from the Philistines. That process wasn't completed for about a hundred more years when David became king and finally broke the Philistines' stranglehold over them. But Samson began that process. And we can say with certainty after reading this, that God never gives up on his people. Samson did nothing to deserve God's love and concern for him. This was all grace, but God did not give up on his servant. And that's a wonderful truth that you and I need to remember. God will not give up on you. He will not if you're one of his people. That's what this whole book is about. It's not about God's people doing great things. It's about God's people doing bad things again and again and again. And God never 
giving up on his people. And what a blessing that is for us to know. And what's the right response to that? It's to keep fighting the good fight, knowing that God will not give up on you. Paul writes at the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's what the call is, to keep doing whatever it is God has called you to do right to the end. That's what Samson did, right to the end, and to do it trusting in the Lord. He was Samson pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came never doubting God's purpose, not a reluctant servant, not one who had one foot in the world and one foot in God's kingdom, but one who served God wholeheartedly. And because the Lord Jesus did that, those of us who by nature don't do that can be forgiven and can know life with God the Father. So keep this in mind as you face a new week. God wants you to keep fighting the good fight, knowing that your Lord will never abandon you and never give up on you. Let's give him thanks for that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story. It's a complicated story. It's a, it's a story of a complicated character. And yet, Lord, we see in this the same tendencies we have, which is to try to live for the world and for you simultaneously and all the trouble that causes. Lord, how we thank you that we see that although Samson's sin did have consequences, serious consequences in his life, you did not abandon him. You were with him. You answered his prayer when he called out to you in faith and you enabled him to fulfill his purpose as a judge and a deliverer of his people. Lord, we thank you that he points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that our Lord Jesus fulfilled the purpose that you had for him and that he did that through his death and suffering so that we could have victory and that we could have life and forgiveness. And we pray, Lord, that you'd help each one of us to be trusting in Jesus and living for Jesus and that by his grace, you would enable us to continue to fight each day to obey you and knowing that you will never give up on us through the Lord Jesus. We pray in his name, amen. And now let's sing our praise uh, back to the Lord from Psalm 56, selection B. Psalm 56B. You have recorded all my ways, all pathways that I took within your bottle. Place my tears. Are they not in your book? So God knows of our suffering. He knows when we're low. But the psalm reminds us that he's with us. In God whose word I give my praise, the Lord's word I revere. In God I now have put my trust, so I will have no fear. We can trust 
in the Lord who is always with his people through Christ. Let's stand and we'll sing our praise to him.